Now, tonight we're going to look at this um, psalm that was read, Psalm 72. Um, oh, I, I had a great PowerPoint, which... <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, never mind. You just have to imagine it. Uh, look, I, in, and I was in the USA in November 2008, which is probably before some of you were born. Uh, uh, it was when Barack Obama, remember him? Uh, that's almost before some of you were born, I think. But remember, he was elected uh, to the White House. And, and the excitement at the time, I was there in the States, it was palpable. Uh, there was hope in the air of better times to come. There was a website called uh, Obama for Messiah. Rubber bands were made with the inscription, Hope begins on the 20th of January, 2009, the date of the inauguration. Uh, one newspaper headline said, this is bigger than Kennedy. This is New Testament. He, he's not the word made flesh. He's the triumph of word over flesh. That was a headline in a newspaper. Another reporter said, he communicates godlike energy. <laughs> it, it feels like some special hand is guiding him. This is what he, he said about himself in his inaugural speech. This is what he said in, in his inaugural speech. He says, we're the ones that we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. Now, I'm not quite sure what that actually means, <laughs> but it sounds messianic, doesn't it? Well, that was quite a long time ago now, and it didn't happen. And we're still waiting for the Messiah, aren't we? And how will we recognize the Messiah when he comes? Well, Psalm 72, this psalm we're looking at tonight, is a messianic psalm. It's like a Christmas carol, really, because that's what the messianic psalms are. Jesus is the Messiah. These psalms are pointing us to Jesus. And this psalm tells us what to expect when the Messiah comes. Uh, Isaac Watts, who was a hymn writer uh, back in the 17th century, he, he was the kind of the Bob Dylan of his day. And he wrote a very famous paraphrase. He was the guy who introduced uh, paraphrases rather than just metrical psalms. And uh, he, he wrote this paraphrase of Psalm 72, which we still sing today. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. Now that's Psalm 72. Only he put the name of Jesus into Psalm 72. Was he right to do that? Is this psalm really about Jesus? I want to give you three reasons why it has to be. Three reasons the name of Jesus fits into this psalm. No other name is big enough. That's the first thing I want to say. No other reign is long enough. That's the second point. No other power is strong enough. Those are the three points. No other name is big enough. No other reign is long enough. No other power is strong enough. So the first thing is this, then. No other name is, is big enough. You, 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 notice, you would have noticed when we were reading the, the psalm, and if, you, if you've seen it in your Bible or on your device, uh, the psalm, like a lot of these psalms, has a title. And the title is part of the actual inspired infallible word of God. It's not something that's been added on. And the title of this psalm is Of Solomon. 
That's the title. Solomon's name is in the title to this psalm. And, and yet there's a bit of a, an issue because when you get to the end of the psalm, to verse 20, we're told that it's a prayer of David. Um, or it's the end of the prayers of David. So what is it? Maybe it's a prayer of David for Solomon, his son, who is about to ascend the throne. That's possibly what it may be. Or more likely, and and most of the commentators say this is probably the case, it's Solomon himself praying for God to make him into the kind of king that this world really needs. So you look at the way the psalm begins there in verses 1 and 2. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones, with justice. And then in verse 4, and these words appear on the entrance to the Old Bailey in London. The Old Bailey are the criminal courts in London. And uh, etched across the entrance to the Old Bailey in London is verse 4 of Psalm 72. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. Justice for all and compassion for the poor and needy. Now Solomon wants to be a king like that. The world needs a king like that, doesn't it? In verse 6 he prays that he might be like rain falling on a mown field. Like showers watering the earth. That's so evocative, don't you think? I don't know if you're like me, but I I find that... uh, I can be walking through the city uh, and uh, uh, some kind of aroma will sort of, uh, you know, filter uh, away its way to me. And, and, and that, 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 that smell, that aroma will actually trigger a memory. I remember being in Sydney once and walking through the, uh, the back of a church there in Sydney. And, uh, and, and I smelt these musty old books and I was immediately transported back to the church where I used to be the pastor in London. Because it was the library from that church that had been transported out to Sydney. And, and I spent 12 years sitting in that minister's room in London, surrounded by those books. I'd forgotten that they'd come to Australia. <laughs> and, and it's the same when, when I smell, you know, when, when, when somebody's been mowing the lawn or cutting the grass and, it's, and it rains. The smell of that. It, it, it's, it, it sort of brings back memories. It's, it's, it's kind of refreshing, isn't it? Now, I don't know about you, but if I had the opportunity to live under that kind of a regime, I'd grab it, wouldn't you? I'd I'd gladly forego our style of democracy with its short-term party politics and its self-serving politicians for that. Of course, I want this king to reign forever. I would want his reign to go on and on and on. I wouldn't want it to end. And I would want his kingdom to stretch from shore to shore. Now Solomon, it almost looks like it could have been Solomon. Solomon is the most famous and successful of all of Israel's kings. In his day, Israel became a world power. Solomon united God's people. He defeated God's enemies. He extended God's rule from the Euphrates, from the river, to the ends of the earth. So is it Solomon? Is he the one? Is he the one that the world has been waiting for? Is he the one that this psalm is about? His name is in the title. But Solomon's name, great as it is, it doesn't fit, does it? 
Solomon ultimately disappoints. He's flawed. He doesn't measure up to the king that he aspires to be. He compromises his own faith by marrying loads and loads of of women from foreign lands who bring their foreign idols, their foreign gods in with them. And it doesn't end well. He, 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 he dies and his kingdom is divided. And it's, if you read the books of uh, one and two kings, if you read the, the chronicles of the kings of Israel, uh, then you know it's, it's downhill all the way from Solomon's day. It, it, somebody wrote a commentary on one and two kings and they called it men behaving badly. There's hardly a good one there in, in the whole list of kings. So great as Solomon is, a greater than Solomon is called for. Don't you see? And that's who Jesus claims to be. In the Gospels, you remember in the Gospels, faced with the, the unbelief of Israel's religious leaders, Jesus got angry uh, about, about that, didn't he? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Jesus who was so kind and compassionate to the poor and the needy and the marginalized. He was furious with the religious leaders of the day. <coughs> Asking for a sign, asking for his credentials, asking to prove that he is who he claims to be. And do you remember there in the Gospels that uh, Jesus challenges these uh, religious hypocrites, these religious uh, leaders, faced with their unbelief. He takes them back to Solomon's time and he challenges them with the testimony of the Queen of Sheba. Do you remember the story of the Queen of Sheba? She, uh, she travelled from Addis Ababa to Jerusalem. And what she saw, we're told, left her breathless. She says, the half, the half was not told me. And Jesus says to these religious leaders in Israel that she will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom and now a greater than Solomon is here. Do you see what he's saying to, to, to these people? You, you ask for a sign? You want me to prove myself to you? It's staring you in the face. Read the Gospels. The deaf hear, the lame walk, the blind receive their sight. Lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, demons are cast out. The poor have the Gospel preached to them. And just for a moment, you get a glimpse of the one that this psalm is talking about. David's son. God's king, David's son, who will sit on David's throne forever. This is the king who defends the afflicted and takes pity on the needy. One commentator put it like this. Everywhere Jesus goes in the Gospels, Eden is restored. He's like a little portable paradise. I like that. You read the Gospels, you'll see that for yourself. And everything that's cursed and dying and dark and broken, whenever it, come, whenever it comes into contact with him, is brought to life. And what Jesus did in microcosm in the Gospels, he will do cosmically when he comes again. That's our great hope, isn't it? The new heavens and the new earth. When there will be nothing to hurt or harm in all his holy kingdom. When Christ stands on the earth again, there will be flourishing and fruitfulness that far outweighs the curse and frustration that Adam brought. That's who Jesus claims to be. A greater than Solomon is here. In Jesus, the kingdom of God has arrived. Remember how he began his public ministry. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. 
repent and, and believe the good news. Just think of what that must have meant to people who were steeped in the Old Testament, waiting for the coming of their Messiah, longing for God's kingdom to come. And Jesus says, it's near, it's here, it's now. I'm the one that you've been waiting for, he's saying. Good King, not good King Wenceslas, but good King Jesus. No other name is big enough. Uh, and no other reign is long enough. Look at verse 15. Long may he live. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. See, every human administration runs out of steam eventually, doesn't it? Human leaders grow stale. Uh, they run out of ideas. They lose support. Even Obama's reign had to come to an end. He started with such a mandate for change, but he soon became what the Americans call a lame duck president, didn't he? But this king, this ruler, never passes his use-by date. How long will he reign? One term? Two terms? See what it says there in verse 5? He will outlast the sun. He will outlive the moon. He'll go on forever. Age after age throughout all generations. Now, you may have noticed, I'm sure you have noticed, it's uh, election time in Australia again now, isn't it? The politicians are gearing themselves up for next year's general election. You probably noticed that. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. I, I can remember at, at the polling booth um, at the last election, someone gave me what I thought was a how-to-vote card. But it wasn't a how-to-vote card. Actually, it was a how-would-Jesus-vote tract. <laughs> clever. Very clever. Now, I must say, I don't think that pastors should be telling their people how to vote. I don't believe that churches should uh, hitch themselves to any particular political party. And I really don't know how Jesus will vote or would vote in the next election. But I do know how he would reign. Because this is his manifesto. This psalm. His reign is a just reign. Don't we long for that? And he rules in justice and when he rules in justice, the world is set to right. So you see, don't you, the mountains and hills bring prosperity and fruit. Corn abounds, fruit flourishes. Why is it that there are people starving to death in this world? Why is there so much poverty and suffering and, and starvation, drought, famine? There's more than enough food in this world, in God's world, for everybody. Why? It's greed, isn't it? and corruption. So supplies get uh, uh, delivered through the, uh, you know, the, uh, the NCO. They, they, get, they land the plane, they unload the plane. And what happens? That, 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 those supplies never get to the people who need it. Sold on the black market. Greed, corruption. Why is the planet struggling? Why does creation groan? Because through human sin and selfishness, it's subject to frustration. And instead of stewarding our resources, we exploit them selfishly for our own ends. But you see, when Jesus reigns, you see what it says in verse 16? What a great vision this is, you know, of the future for us. There's plenty of grain in the land, even growing on the tops of the mountains, it says there in verse 16. Things don't grow on the tops of mountains. But there's going to be abundance of grain growing on the tops of the mountains even. There's going to be plenty for everybody. It's a picture of extraordinary blessing and fruitfulness. And then the verse goes on. Um, 
in, in every other translation except the one that I'm using, <laughs> except for the NIV, the, the verse goes on to say this, and may the people flourish in the cities like the grass of the field. I don't know why the NIV leaves that little phrase out. They don't need to leave that out. It's there. It's part of the text. And it's so relevant today because we're living at a time when uh, all around the world people are moving into cities, mega cities, cities of millions and billions of people with all the problems of people living cheek by jowl in these, these huge conglomerations of uh, apartment blocks and see how relevant this psalm is here is the answer to urban degeneration and inner city decay the people will flourish in the cities like the grass of the field when Jesus reigns now I was a minister in, in inner city London for 12 years right in inner city London on the, on the one hand, on the one side of us, we had the Brixton riots while I was there. It's nothing to do with me. I didn't start them. But there were serious riots. And on the other side, Peckham, there were, some rec- there, was, there were riots in Peckham as well. It is real inner city. And I was a pastor there for 12 years. And one of our young guys back then, uh, when I was pastoring that church, was the son of a Ghanaian doctor and an English mo- mother. Uh, he was an exceptionally bright and gifted young man. And he used to drive, this is when he was in his late teens, probably, early 20s, late, late teens, I think. He used to drive a top-of-the-range Golf GTI, which was something back in the day. Um, probably still is. <laughs> it was a black one, I remember, with you know, red leather seats. <laughs> uh, he's, since, he's done very well for himself in the, in the city uh, since then. As an, he's, he's, he became an investment banker. He made loads of money. Um, He's still a, a, a serious Christian. But he told, he told me back then in the day that almost every week, you know, we'd, we'd have uh, Sunday meetings and then we'd also have a, a prayer meeting and we'd have a Bible study at the church building. And, and every week, he, he told me, almost every week he would get stopped by the police, a young black guy driving a flash car in inner city London. <laughs> they never believed him when he told them that he was going to a Bible study. <laughs> But let me ask you, my friends, let me ask you, if you're a 20-year-old girl walking home at night in South London and four men approach you, does it make a difference that those four men have come from a Bible study? It should do, shouldn't it? That's the reign of King Jesus. It's a reality. In his day, righteousness will flourish. The gospel makes a difference. It can clean up our inner cities when it has free course. You see, the reason the streets of our cities, um, not so much Hobart perhaps, but the reason the streets of our, our, our big cities are no longer safe is because the gospel isn't preached there anymore. The gospel makes a difference. Think about it. See, if you're a landlord uh, letting your house, Christians make good tenants, don't they? You'd hope so. If you're an employer hiring staff, Christians are good workers, aren't they? Or they should be. Haven't you heard of the Protestant work ethic? See, the gospel makes a difference in people's lives. When Jesus reigns, people flourish. Even in the inner city, there's prosperity and peace and safety. 
And people are looking out for one another. In uh, 1987, and again, probably may be before some of you were born, uh, a film was released in Moscow. I can, this, is, this is for me in living memory. It's part of my life experience. You might read about this in the history books. <laughs> but it's kind of 20th century um, history. Um, it, 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 this film was made in, um, it was made in, uh, it was a, it released in Moscow by um, a Georgian film director, and the film was called Repentance. It, uh, it was during the time of uh, Glasnost and Perestroika when Gorbachev came to power, uh, just before the collapse of communism. And uh, the film depicts uh, a small town somewhere in Russia, and the mayor of the town is a, is a mixture of Stalin and Hitler to look at. You can imagine that. I didn't have a, I didn't have a PowerPoint for that. But his one aim, the dictator, his one aim is to demolish the church in the town square. That's what the atheistic communism tried to do. It tried to stamp out Christianity. And the whole film revolves around the desire of the dictator to destroy the church. And at the end of the, of the, of the movie, an old lady turns up and she asks a young woman for direction. She says, is this the street that leads to the church? And the young woman says, I don't know. There's no church left here. And the old lady straightens up and she says, then what's the use of a street that doesn't lead to a church? And that's how the film ends, with that question hanging in the air. In the first 10 days of showing the film in Moscow, 700,000 people saw it. In the first four months of general re release over the Soviet Union, 3 million people saw it. It is one of the most popular films ever made in Russia. Now, to just think of that, all those millions of people who'd been oppressed by atheistic communism hearing the call to repent, going home with that question ringing in their ears, what's the use of a street that doesn't lead to a church? It's a very good question, isn't it? Karl Marx, Trotsky, Lenin, Stalin, Chairman Mao, they've long gone. Communism has failed spectacularly everywhere. But Jesus still reigns in the hearts and lives of millions of Russians. What's the use of a street that doesn't lead to a church? It's a very good question for us, Soul Church. Here we are, 5 Lefroy Street, North Hobart. What are we here for? We're here for the flourishing of this neighborhood, aren't we? For the flourishing of this city. But this city will only flourish under the reign of King Jesus. That's what this psalm is telling us. Long live King Jesus. May he continue while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the cut grass, like spring showers that water the earth. May people flourish in the cities like the grass of the field. That's how we should be praying. That's what we should be looking for and longing for, for Hobart. This psalm has to be about Jesus because no other name is big enough, no other reign is long enough, and no other power is strong enough. Sixty years ago, <laughs> again still within my living memory, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, my, my, my sons 
and my daughter for that matter, they're, they're, they're Beatles fans. <laughs> uh, I think the Beatles, my, my mother used to say that music won't last. <laughs> but people still listen to the Beatles, don't they? They're brilliant. 60 years ago, John Lennon said, Christianity will go, it'll vanish and shrink. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. How silly that sounds now, doesn't it? 200 years before the Beatles, during the French Revolution, Voltaire predicted the demise of Christianity. He said, there'll be a day when the name of Jesus Christ will be remembered no more. 50 years after his death, Voltaire's house became the headquarters of the Bible Society in France. <laughs> there have been many, many attempts to rid the world of Christianity over the years. Herod, King Herod, we read that passage in Matthew chapter 2. Pontius Pilate, Nero, Nietzsche, who said that God was dead, Hitler, Stalin, Chairman Mao, and so many others have tried to stamp out Christianity, but no power is strong enough to resist the power of the gospel. Even Richard Dawkins, who spent nearly the whole of his life attacking Christianity, he seems to have changed his tune recently. He now begrudgingly admits that the world would be a much more dangerous place without the teachings of Jesus. So long live King Jesus, I say. See, this Christmas, the whole world will stop to celebrate the birth of this king. On no other day does the whole world come to a standstill in honour of a kid who was born in a stable. A thousand years after this psalm was written, wise men came from the east to worship a baby born in a stable. Desert kings bearing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, just as the psalm predicts. Look at verses 10 and 11. The kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. Today, billions call on his name. Every day, 25,000... I checked these figures a few years ago. I'm not sure if they're still accurate. Every day, every day now... I mean, every 24 hours, 25,000 Chinese call him king for the first time. Every day, 20,000 Africans gladly submit to his just and gentle rule. Every day, 40,000 more Asians find him. Now, how do you account for that? There's only one explanation. Jesus is the one this sum is talking about. He is the hope of the ages. He is the desire of all nations. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No other name is big enough. No other reign is long enough. No other power is strong enough. Now, maybe you're not a Christian yet. So let me tell you what you have to do. It's there in verse 12. See what it says? He will deliver the needy who cry out. That's what you've got to do. You've got to cry out. You're tired of running your own life? Tired of just being dictated to by your peers? Tired of being ordered around by the government? <laughs> he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help them. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He'll rescue them from oppression and violence for precious is their blood in his sight. Your blood is precious in the sight of Jesus. And all you have to do is acknowledge that you are weak and helpless and needy 
and cry out to him. Cry out to him and he will deliver you. Do you see, do you see a need of him tonight? Do you long to come under the rule of this gracious king? Are you tired of of ruling your own life? Tell him, cry out to him right now. Throw yourself on his mercy. That's all you have to do. That's what faith is. It's throwing yourself on his mercy. And if you you do that tonight for the first time, because I can't see who's here. I don't know who's here. But if you do that, and it's great, isn't it? You don't even have to look as if you're doing it. But in your way, right? You don't even have to come to the front and fall over all these things here. Right where you're sitting right now, in your heart of heart, you can cry out to him. You can say, Jesus, I need you. And if you do that for the very first time tonight, please come and tell us. Because we'd love to help you take your first steps as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to welcome you into his kingdom, under his gracious rule. And Christian people, what a relief it is to know, isn't it, who's in charge? Not blind chance or cruel fate, but good King Jesus. The government is upon his shoulders And the policy of his government is to give eternal life to all who call upon him, to all who repent of their sins and believe in him. Good King Jesus, strong and kind, just and merciful. He's at the Father's side, the man of love, the crucified. He's the one who's ruling over the affairs of nations. And when he stands again on the earth, He will bring peace, prosperity, and cosmic redemption. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Good King Jesus. No other name big enough. No other reign long enough. No other power strong enough. Let's pray. If you want this king, if you long for his rule on earth, as surely we do, you'll gladly echo the prayer of this psalm, won't you? Long live the king. May his name endure forever. As long as the sun shines, may his fame increase. Oh, may his fame increase. May the peoples of this city acknowledge him to be Lord and God. May all nations be blessed by him and call him blessed. May the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wonders, be praised. May his glorious name be praised forever. The whole earth filled with his glory. Amen and Amen.